Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please note this episode contains sensitive matters. Further details in the show notes. Please use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, Please seek appropriate support and help. In this episode, we are continuing this journey around the theme of adoption and identity with Kevin Barnett. We dive deep into his childhood, into foster care and all the difficulties he endured before being adopted. We also discussed how his adoption impacts his identity, relationships, and trust, and his reunion with his birth family. Welcome to Black Adoption Identities. I am Crystal Pellecoeur, your host. It is with great pleasure that I am welcoming with us today, Kevin Barnett. Kevin Barnett is an outstanding motivational speaker. The topic that he speaks on are based on his personal experiences in life. His life story of finding his birth parents after 56 years is the foundation of his organization called Leaving My Shadows. Kevin's experiences in the foster care program, his adoption, and succeeding in the US military will motivate anyone that has experienced obstacles in their lives. The first 10 years of Kevin's life was full of torture, hatred and greed from his two first foster parents. As a baby, he was found dying of malnutrition with a bottle of spoiled milk. He had to be fed through his uncle because he couldn't even open his mouth to drink. The individuals who left him in that state were cruel. However, that was only the beginning. Kevin's next foster parents were very mean and he suffered from nine years until one passed away and the remaining parent was forced to give him back to the state. The next foster parents were the one that he later took on their last name. Given all the challenges that Kevin encountered, he was still able to succeed in life. He never gave up on finding where he came from and Kevin eventually found his birth mother and the reason she had to make the toughest decision of her life. Kevin's story will leave you crying and laughing all at the same time. Kevin, welcome. I'm really excited to, to have this conversation with you today. Um, Glad to be here. And just reading this introduction, I can see that, yeah, your life was not that's easy um mm-hmm. and i do know that many of the adopted adult adoptees have gone through quite a lot of sub- obstacle in the past but yours especially uh, marked by quite a lot of challenges so do you want to take us back to the beginning of how all this started and um 
well, from your obvious memory, uh, but also tell us where you're based in America and um, yeah, before we go into the small detail, well, the big details of your life story. Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's a privilege and honor to be on your uh, podcast, especially the fact that, uh, you know, you're overseas in Portugal, which uh, tells me that this, uh, it's adoption slash foster care um, issue and organization programs are global. It's just not uh, the U.S. or the U.K. or Portugal. It's, it's all around the world. And uh, we have similar issues when it comes to uh, children being adopted and children going through some type of foster care program because of, um, you know, their mother not wanting them or um, just being given up uh, through um many reasons. So uh, I appreciate you uh, being able to um, do this and to um, continue the push of getting the story out. So um, maybe change could be made. Um, I'm currently living in the state of um, of Delaware. Uh, the Delaware is, uh, I don't know, about maybe two, three hours away from New York City. Uh, it's a small state. Um, I've been here since uh, 2008. You know, so uh, I'm originally from New Jersey. Uh, I was born in Jersey City um, at a, a maternity home, as I found out. Uh, I was born 1960, so that puts me at uh, almost 63, which next next week I'll be 63. Um, <clears throat> yes, I was born in Jersey City, and and immediately I was given up for adoption or to the program, um, the foster care program, and. Um, I was raised in East Orange, New Jersey. Uh, East Orange is it's, it's a small city. It's right next to the largest city, which everyone pretty much knows on the United States called Newark, New Jersey. So that's where uh, my life really uh, started. And um, as far as my adolescence and teenage years and my young adult life uh, happened in you know East Orange and Newark area. Um, but going back, <clears throat> As far as my story begins, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, which almost teared me up again, every time I hear anything similar to to what you, to how you presented it, it it it, it, it brings little uh, tears to my eye, and you start going down memory lane. And I'm sure uh, any adoptee that had similar stories, um, you can never wholly, you know, uh, forget it, you know, because so, it's something that's a part of you. But anyway, um, my mother gave me up right after I was born, and um, I was given to uh, this uh, family, this foster care family, my very first one, uh, which I guess they couldn't deal with having a baby of uh, that age, or, uh, or you couldn't deal with the crying. I, I really don't know the circumstances. All I do know is that they left me uh, on um, somebody's porch with some some milk that you know, wind up being spoiled. I don't know how long I was out there, but uh, I was out there long enough uh, to be diagnosed as uh, dying of malnutrition. And so um, someone found me, a caseworker found me, and I was taken to the hospital. And uh, because I had the case of uh, malnutrition so bad that they, I couldn't take a, uh, you know, be fed through the mouth, they had to open up um, my ankles. And that's where they fed me. And to this day, I, I carry them scars. So I constantly, when I look at my scars on my my, my ankle, it, it, it takes me down memory lane and 
kind of like be thankful for um, what I have and what I went through and things of that sort. So um, they was able to get get me um, back to um, speed somewhat, and then they uh, found a home for me. And um, that home was a uh, home of an elderly couple, and <clears throat> um, they were at least in their 60s or 70s. And so they had some weird way of rearing up a kid. Um, I always believed that it was more of a, a finance thing with them to supplement their social security. Uh, the, um, the 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 father, the foster father, was a retired police officer, and Miss um, Crawford, uh, she was a, a more of a, a homemaker, so to speak. And so uh, I was raised in that house um, for um, 10 to 12 years, as I recall. Uh, he passed away. But during the course of the 10 to 12 years, it was the worst years of my life. Uh, a lot of abuse, um, verbal, mental, physical, um, just, you know, um, it was just a horrible place. Uh, I did have a foster brother who basically was a person that actually helped me you know he he saw things that happened and so he uh he was a little younger than me maybe about a year and a half but you know he was able to do things that i wasn't able to do believe it or not even though my adopted parents well my foster care parents at that time was um black um they still had some weird way of making me feel inferior uh, they talked about the color of my skin. So colorism was a, a main factor or main tool that they used against me while I was uh, being abused or being, um, you know, uh, ridiculed or, uh, or they're trying to tear me down. My my foster brother, he was, you know, very fair skinned. So um, they equated me to evil and him to good, but he didn't ever feed into that, uh, even at a young age, you know, he. You know, when I was tied up and couldn't go anywhere, he untied me. You know, we played, you know, little stick ball games outside and, and then we'd go back in and, you know, he'd tie me back up. So it looked like nothing ever happened. I couldn't watch TV because I slept on the couch, a cot rather, in the dining room area. And so he made sure that um, I was able to come in and sneak in the room and uh, look at TV because he slept in the same room, not the same bed, but the same room. They had twin beds and and Miss Crawford, because Miss Crawford never slept with her husband. You know, he had the master bedroom to himself. And so uh, for me, crawling on my knees and things like that, I, I developed scabs on my knees and elbows. Um, they had a dog there to make sure that I didn't, you know, cross, you know, the area. But Maurice put him up. And so all kinds of little things happen. Um, even Christmas time was supposed to be a, a quote unquote, a happy time of the year. Um, that was a sad time of the year for me because you know, they, they give me one or two gifts on the chair and they have a whole sofa full and they say things like, ah, oh, you know, you're, you know, you don't deserve to have anything. And boom. Uh, Maurice deserves to have everything. And, and um, they used to equate that to colorism too. You know, I was evil. Even Halloween, they was, I wanted to be Batman or something like that. You know, they, they'll give me some Diamic uh, costume or something that, or Frankenstein or something that, you know, represented evil. So there's just all kinds of things. So <clears throat> make a long story short, she she um basically Miss Grove, you know, the, the foster mother basically followed followed whatever um the, her husband said. It, the names are Crawford last name. So um I outlined that in my book that I uh, wrote. 
And so, um, you know, he passed away. And that was the only time that I ever actually uh, jumped up and down for joy for somebody passing away. Uh, uh, I literally can say I had hatred for that man. He was, to me, he was pure hatred. Um, he died actually of the hiccups. You know, I'll never forget that he started uh, hiccuping, couldn't stop. And he was at the kitchen table. And I remember to this day, we was even we was eating black eyed peas, you know. Um, and to remind me of him. So to this day, I try not to even eat black eyed peas, you know. It's something how trauma can affect people in different, so many different ways. And so um, Ms. Crawford tried to keep up the uh abuse and stuff, but you know, as you get bigger and stuff, she, she couldn't handle it and she was older. She always used to make threats that they was gonna come and get me and put me in another home and stuff. And this time. You know, I was like, please put me in another home. And um, finally, she uh, gave, you know, she uh, uh, gave me my wishes. And uh, I wound up uh, in another foster home for about another six years. And um, then later on, getting adopted by that family, which the last name of Carrie, which um, is a whole story in itself. Um, but uh, life as adoptee was... Um, Pretty, um, it was all right to some extent, but I had some some abuse that happened um, there too. And, um, you know, uh, recently things has came out. Um, we've been sharing that just to, you know, get complete healing. But, um, you know, it, it, shaped, it shaped my personality. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wound up joining the military because, um, you know, I was a skinny child. I took, you know, martial arts and stuff like that to, to keep my uh, confidence up so what but I needed I needed something else I think I needed more responsibility I needed to um, find myself and be away from you know the environment of New Jersey so um I wound up joining the military and and um stayed in the military for 20 plus years and during the 20 plus years I I led soldiers I went to war did drill sergeant I did all kinds of things in the military it gave me all kinds of responsibilities confidence to be a speaker and things of that sort and um, I wound up, uh, I got married, just, I'm on my third marriage. Um, being adopted, you really, or going through the system, you really, um, you're really, I, personally, I had problems with relationships. You know, I had relationships and then trust and things of that sort. Um, but I was able to, you know, for the most part, overcome them. Um, my current wife is very supportive. Um, she basically drove me to look for my parents. You know, um, and then my my second son also did the same thing because uh, my granddaughter has uh, uh, her grandmother on her mother's side is adopted too, so she had both ways. So my son said, "You need to find out who you are," and my wife said, "Yes, you need to you need to find out." So we went down that road. Um, I did inquire while I was in the military. I hired an investigator to find out and uh, who I was. Try to hunt my mother down, but. You know that didn't that didn't help, and so I wound up doing it again after my wife pushed me to do it again. So I wound up taking DNA tests mm -hmm. and uh, joined some Facebook groups, and um, with a little blessing and a little help, a little luck, whatever you want to call it, the young lady um, said, "I think I found your mother," and it was a very scary, shocking feeling that someone said they found my mother, and it's like. It's, you can't believe it, and it's like a shock. You don't handle it because I've been searching all my life. At that time, I was 56, and so she sent me a picture of the house, and she sent me the names, 
And then I found out I had a sister. I found out I had, I knew I had uh, two brothers, but I didn't know um, the names or where they were born or anything like that. Um, but uh, the state, you know, they give you these, what they call non-identifying information. Like I knew when my grandfather passed away, I knew my mother had a sister and I knew I had two siblings and they, they gave me like an approximately age and stuff like that. Um, but they lied about my grandfather passing on, well, they didn't lie about passing on um, in 1946, but they lied about who it was. It was my maternal grandfather versus my paternal grandfather. Because when you're searching, all that makes a difference, you know. So, um, but anyway, I had a phone number in front of me, and I proceeded to use the phone number, and I called. And it's funny, my my sister got on the phone. Of course, she she knew who I was, and I, I proceeded to tell her. And she said, you know, she you know she thought someone was playing games on the phone. Mm -hmm. So she said, you know, I really don't have time. And uh, she hung the phone up, you know, protecting her mother, uh, which is. Um, you know, you, I understand that. So I almost gave up, but I said, oh, you know, maybe I need to approach this in a different way. You know, um, so I proceeded to call a, a number that was, um, I could, well, at that time I didn't know, but it was my brother's wife's number. And um, she answered the phone actually. And and I told her that, you know, I, I had some very important information and I was trying to get in touch with, with uh, her. You know, I, at that time, I didn't know that she answered the phone, but she was from Panama, so she had a thick accent. So, of course, I didn't know none of this. And so uh, when I said uh, who I was looking for, she she said, well, she's not here. But at the time, she answered the phone. That was her, but she thought it was another prank call, you know. And so then I said, well, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to get in touch with uh, Johnny Hodge. Um, if if you know of his whereabouts, please have him to call this number. And that's when she yelled in the back and said, Johnny, somebody's on the phone. <laughs> I told him I wasn't here, but she didn't know I was going to hear that. So he got on the phone and um, he's he's 13 years older than me, something like that. Yeah. And so I proceeded to tell him all about myself, all about him and his family, because doing my research, I found out where my grandfather was from. I found out where, where he was born. I found out how many kids he had. I found out where he got married at. I found out all kinds of things from the time he was uh, born all the way through travel from the Caribbean to West Indies, all through St. Kitts, all the way up to New York, all the way to Asbury Park, New Jersey. So I told him the whole thing. I told him how many siblings he had and all that. And um, then he said, wow, you know a lot about me. I said, yeah, there's a reason why I'm telling you about this. My name is such and such. I was born such and such. And um after it was all said, I told him, I believe I'm your sibling. You have sibling. And he said, wow, that's a lot. <clears throat> and I said, yeah. So um, I said, think about it. Um, and um, I'll get back with you in a week from now because I was on um, on um, business. And so he said, okay. So um, I couldn't wait. Three days later, I called him back up. And I um, asked him, did he talk to his mother? And he said, yes. And I said, what? do you say she said well i guess i have a brother <laughs> like that mm -hmm. and so i text my sister and i asked her do you know who this is and she said yes it's my brother so i wind up um uh videotaping them you know facebook you know not facebook what do you call it um um facetime mm -hmm. and um uh, and i saw my mother very very first time and you know she she couldn't she was, had a little tear in her eye stuff and um, I said, well, you know, I'm going to come up there and see you. 
um, in a couple of weeks to meet everybody. And, you know, and I did. We wound up meeting at a place that uh, was owned by one of my high school friends. And um, that's the first time that I met my mother, um, my brother, and my sister, cousins, a couple of cousins. And it was a, a happy occasion. Uh, my mother started crying. I tried to tell her not to cry, you know, because, you know, it's it's, it's spilt milk and it happened. Um, my brother started to cry because, you know, he was he knew something was going on because he was about 13 years old because my mother disappeared. But and, and he couldn't put his his finger on it. But now he, you know, all everything came back to him. Uh, I didn't meet my other brother because he passed away before I got a chance to meet him. And um, yeah, so we all got together and went over to my brother's house and we, my wife and my stepdaughter, and we all got, you know, it was a very happy uh, occasion. My cousin, uh, Didi, she had actually had cancer and she fought her way to come see me and she wound up passing uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, which is a story in itself because I went to, that was my very first funeral, of course. I'm sitting there with my mother and my brother and everybody's like wondering who is this guy right here? And a lot, a couple of people thought I was actually my brother that had passed away. So people was asking me, said, I thought you passed away, Kenny, and stuff like that, because we look kind of like, right? Uh, actually, I look more like my mother than my siblings. So that's what they tell me, you know. Um, then a couple of weeks after that, I, I sat down with my mother and I wanted to find out who my father was. And, um, she she broke down and she told me I kind of like figure who it was because going back to the DNA uh, a, a half sister I mean a half cousin showed up first cousin showed up on my DNA so I got in contact with that family and that's when she told me that more than likely it's these three individuals that your father is you know it's, it was I think it's a total of five brothers so I narrowed it down to two people and I presented it to her and she told me who it was. Your, your father's name is George. And I said, oh, wow. You know, and then at the same time, a sister from George came up on my DNA. So I had another reunion with her on my father's side. Um, my, I didn't meet my father um, per se in face to face because uh, he had passed away in 1980, 82, something that time frame. Um, so I didn't get to meet him, but I, I got to meet um uh, a lot of families from that side. You know, we had a big family union, and 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 I had a family union on my mother's side uh, too. So um, all of it came together, you know. Um, and we still, I'm still finding family. Uh, we just had a little mini reunion when I went to go visit my uh, grandkids in Seattle, Washington, uh, or actually Tacoma, Washington, and um, you know, uh, very on the very first time. So you know, it's been a, um, a amazing journey and. Uh, so far, it's 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 been good. Uh, it's been tiresome because it's it's only one of me, but you know I think I've found almost a thousand people so far. You know I've started Facebook groups and stuff like that, and um, and it's it's been amazing. So I can't I can't complain. Uh, the only complaint I have, I wish it never happened, but you know yeah. you you only can do so much about that. So how's I mean it's a, it's an amazing story in. It, every angle of your story is, is um, something to, like you say, mention to laugh or to cry about. Right. <laughs> How did you uh, that reunion with your mother? Did you obviously you want you had a lot of questions around why she gave you away? Did you manage mm -hmm. to get the answer to why you are looking for? 
Well, I got I got answers not directly, um, uh, kind of like roundabout answers. Um, I know that uh, during the time, you know, in the '60s and '50s, you know, earlier, uh, it was frowned upon to have kids, um, you know, out of you know wedlock, so to speak. You know, um, she did have me. She did have my brothers first, and then she had me, and she gave me up, and then she she got my sister, who's two years younger than me, but she was married with when she had her. So, um, you know, so I was always felt like, you know, when, when she, you know, um, when she told me when I figured all this out, I always always wonder why I was the one. It's just that I was born, and you know, and and at that particular time, she wasn't ready to. Um, you know, to to let people know. And I also think um, that uh, my father, uh, you know, lived, well, her mother, you know, my father's mother and other uh, siblings lived close by too. And I don't know if the families didn't, you know, didn't get along or whatever, but um, I think she just gave me up because she couldn't afford me. You know, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think her mother was taken care of too already prior to her getting married. So on the, having a third one is just, you know, the luck of the card or the draw, however you want to put it. But um, I, I did whisper in her ear, I forgave her twice. I uh, mm-hmm. did it when I um, uh, when I first met her. And then when she was on her deathbed, um, I told her again. Uh, I did a nurse who was a very close friend of hers did come and tell me that she wanted me to know that she did the best she could do for me. So, you know, that was, uh, you know, kind of um, just knowing that she said that, you know, um, was kind of helped me to deal with, um, you know, the little uh, pieces that that was going around in my head that I couldn't figure out. So, um, yeah. But, uh, no, I never really got a direct answer or anything like that. But at this point, and, you know, it's 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 mute. <laughs> if I if I continue to think about it, I'll. I start getting sad and start getting emotional and start thinking, and then I really don't want to travel down that road, yeah. you know, too much. Yeah. Um, it's it's good that you talk about forgiveness because that was one question I was going to ask. With everything that you went through, and you also mentioned you had hatred for your foster parents. How did you mm-hmm. even manage to be able to forgive people in life because, or even to trust people after that, because it's hard, <laughs> very hard. Um, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I would say things, you know, but not really meaning it, you know, just to, you know, um, make them feel better about themselves and stuff like that. Um, but I figured that um, when you don't forgive and um, <clears throat> you keep things in, in your heart or in your mind and your soul, you know, uh, and they continue on their life and they're not even really worrying about you. You put yourself in a position of, um, you know, uh, being unhealthy, getting sick and, and getting headaches and things like this over something that someone else did to you, but they're continuing on with their life and, you know, like it never happened, but you're still suffering. So you're still giving them the win, so to speak. So I kind of flipped it in my head. You know what? You know, I'm a you know, even from, you know, an early age, you know, uh, I always knew that I was going to prove to myself first and then prove to my uh, abusers and, 
um, people that said that I wasn't going to amount to be anything, just being a statistic that I was gonna, not going to do that. So I just kind of put my shoulder to the wheel, wheel, so to speak, and, you know, push myself, whether it was athletics, uh, whether it was uh, schooling or being in the military uh, or um, changing the way my hair is or whatever. I just did things for myself and I didn't listen to people. So much negativity out there. Um, so I, I, I kind of like, I just kind of like, just did things my own way. And that that was the way of, in my mind, of saying, yep, yep, I forgive you, but I'll never forget because I'm doing things my way and I'm going to be successful in my way. I'm not going to forget what you did, but I'm not going to let it torment me anymore. You know, so um, I can't get them to win, you know, so I figure karma or something is going to going to happen, you know, on their end. I might not never know, but, you know, I'm not going to let it um, affect me anymore. You know, not to say that I don't think about my mother or my father or, you know, during the course that I was abused because I do. And if I, I can't close the door on that completely because I'd be lying to myself. But I I try to think of it in the sense that, OK, yeah, I was here, but now I'm here. So every time I think negative, I have to think positive. So it kind of equals out, you know, so that's how in my head I, yeah. I, I try to deal with things. And I imagine that it's the same way that you build your own identity because I'm very, really interested of how people who's been adopted navigate that identity uh, as a person because sometimes we get lost into this story mm -hmm. that we've been um, living. Um, so how do you, is that what's helped you to become who you are um, as Kevin Hodge? Uh, compared to what other people say, you are nothing, you can become anybody. How did you navigate your own identity to be able to be that strong personality you are now? Well, I, I took, I I, 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 I kind of like took the word success and I'll say this is going to be my house. So I use um, the comparison to how you build a house or old school house where you, you know, one brick at a time. And so whatever brick, what, represent whatever brick that was that represented a, a piece of negativity if i was verbally abused this is a brick if i was sexually abused this is a brick if someone told me that i could be nothing or never amount to nothing that was a brick so i just kind of built my brick house of success and um you know it took all the ridicule all the uh, abuse and stuff and continued to build my house and didn't depend on or get approval from people to say, well, uh, good job, this and that. That was never my thing. My thing was always about me to prove to myself. Because once I prove it to myself, other people are going to see it. So I just built my house of success with the bricks of negativity. And then once I um, put the final brick on, which was finding my my um, biological family, my house was done. So now I just take that house and I just try to show others that this is my house. This is this is how it started, and this is this is the finished product. And you know, um, of course, you got to, you know, some interior decorations and stuff like inside the house. That's always something that changes, but that structure stays the same. And so, once I finished it, this this is it. So I try to tell people, you know, um, that in adoption um, um, organizations or the foster care system, whatever, you know, you can be successful. I mean, I, I don't think adoption is bad. Because there's some people that have to be adopted simply because their parents might die or or, or whatever. But 
it's the way they go about it. You know, when I got adopted, my name was changed. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I'd have to say my name was changed. Um, uh, I didn't know nothing. You know, the state took the strip, the right to me to know who my mother was, where my, um, where I get my habits, my habits from, my traditions and things like that. All that stuff was stripped from me. And so I think when, if someone gets adopted, they should be, they should have access to that stuff. They should know where they come from on both sides of the family. They should know their health histories and things like that. They shouldn't be made up of something being, uh, you know, given to them. Like I was given a birth certificate that had my adopted mother on there. And it looked like that she had me when I was 13, when she was 13 years old. It doesn't even make sense. You know, to this day, I can't even get my original birth certificate. I only can get a draft uh, uh, inserts of, of the birth certificate. Because my birth certificate is still locked away in the key, you know, uh, I, I know my birth name and all that stuff, but, you know, it would be nice to actually see my birth certificate, you know, uh, and then because of the way they do things with adoption and stuff and changing the names. Now I have all my kids with the same name that I was adopted with and not my birth name, you know, and so now, you know, uh, I have to explain, you know, why my name is this. It's this now. Um, so on Facebook, I have all my names together. So and so because I have family members that are looking for specific names, and they'll see a Nye Black, which is my father's last name, or a Hodge, which is my birth name and and my my mother's name or my grandfather's name. And so you know, um, and then I have my adopted family, which you can't forget them outside of you know mom and dad and brother siblings. But I have a lot of cousins on my on my. On my uh, on my adopted side. So, you know, trying to bring all together, you know, as far as identity. So I have to use all three names. That's what, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it can be taxing at times, but yeah, identity is a big thing. Um, but building the house of success is how I was able to, um, in my mind, overcome some of the obstacles that I had to overcome. I like that building the house of success. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a, a bit more about your work around living my shadows, and I know you've written several books. Uh, so, do you wanna share with us a little bit more about that area of your life? Well, um, the books was therapy. Um, once I found my um, biological family, I I wanted to put a book together. Um, always said I was going to do a book if I ever found them. So I wound up doing it. And, um, you know, I just basically just told my story. Like I've just said uh, during this podcast is um, just put everything down. I didn't go into a lot of details, especially with the sexual abuse. Um, Later on, I wound up talking about that in the podcast. Um, um, But, um, yeah, to to put my story down on on ink and, um, and while I do it, it kind of like freed me a little bit. And, you know, I had some pictures of our first meeting with my mom and family. My stepdaughter, she took on um, some pictures and things. Uh, my wife was there to give me support. So um, the first book was very uh, emotional, um, but it was just telling the story and the journey of, you know, being um, given up and then, you know, going through the struggles and um, then joining the military and then wind up following the biological family. So I kind of like went sequence of the way my story went. And uh, <clears throat> that was the first book. And then the second book was basically talking about dealing with all them emotions, you know, um, like a spider web, because you have, now you have 
uh, two more sets of family. They call it a triad in the adoption world, right? And so you have um, the three sides of the triad. So trying to bring them together, you know, trying to uh, help have the adoptive family understanding that I'm not getting rid of them or replacing them, but I just have extended family now, you know, and at the same time, explaining to the extended family that I have adopted family too, who, so all of us have to come together. So, um, but my emotions of um, dealing with, um, you know, trying to please everybody at the same time or not getting the love I think I should get because, you know, um, you know, even though, I, you know, 56 years that I've, that I've waited to this point, but they have 56 years of their own lives. So I have to understand sometimes that things should, it's not going to happen. They had lives before I came into it. And so, um, you know, when you wait for someone or your family to call you, you don't get the call. It seems like I was doing all the calling and stuff like that. You know, you get depressed and down. This is emotional. And so you're dealing with all kinds of emotional. You want to treat everybody the same. You, you, you know, you don't want to try not to have favorites or whatever. So, um, it was very emotional. So I just put that book together just to show individuals, if you find your biological family or if you're looking for your biological family, these are the things that you're going to have to deal with when you find them. It's just, it's just not peach and cream. These are the things that you're going to have to deal with. So that was the um, reason to write the, the second book. And the third book was just basically a fun book. Really didn't have nothing to do with adoption or anything like that. It was more of a book to... Um, to talk about the fun times in the military on off-duty time. And I kind of came up with uh, characters, but everything was based on real-life situations, you know, crazy stuff we did out in the military, out in Europe and in other places, you know. So that was just a fun, fun book. So, yeah. Amazing. And where can people find it? Is it on Amazon? Oh, you can go on Amazon. Um, you can, Yeah, just type in Kevin I.J.A. Barnett. On Amazon, or you can go to my website, livingmyshadows.org. Just go on the book, and you'll see, you know, all the all the books. And also, we have other um, authors on there on the website too. Um, the book comes in um, paperback. It also comes in digital format. And if you don't like to read and just want to be uh, just listen, I finally got it on Audible, where um, people can just put put it in their um, car and go on audible.com or whatever, and they can. They can listen to it. When you listen on Audible, the guy who um, does the uh, narrating, he's really, really good. You know, so yep. So that's that's where you can get them from. Great, great, great. Well, we are almost at the end of um, our podcast. I would like to to have extended this conversation, but we just have a limited time. So I just wanted to ask you one final question. Yes, ma'am. So if you had to give an advice to your younger self or a young adoptee, what would be your advice to them or to yourself, to your younger self? My advice is to keep hope alive, stay positive. Um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And whatever you find at the end of the tunnel, just be able to accept it. You know, you know, some people are going to find a biological family and some people are not. And some people are going to find a biological family and have negative outcomes. I have talked to people that had negative outcomes. So you just have to be prepared as much as possible for that. But the, the main thing is to stay positive and stay true to who you are and have a forgiving heart. Because if you don't forgive, 
it's not good. It's not good for, for physically, mentally, spiritually, it's not good. You have to forgive. You will never forget, but you have to get that first step to forgive and you'll feel better about yourself. You just have to stay strong in, in the belief, you know. Yep. Great advice. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate you sharing all your story with us. And no problem. good luck for the future and keep in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Thank you. This is Christelle Pellecure, and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities, where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode and until next time, goodbye.